Today's scripture reading comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that an Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have knowledge I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he? Who denies that Jesus Christ, this is the Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will be able to abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, it is just as it has taught you abide in him. You know, some of my scripture readings are short and simple. Some of my scripture readings are long. And I think Luke must need to apologize to Nick for something because that's like two in a row now that Luke's been up here. Nick keeps giving him the hard ones. <laughs> I don't know why Nick's got a grudge against you, Luke, but he keeps fighting up here for the really hard readings. Like, that's the second time you've been up here in the last couple of times where you've had one of the harder ones that I put up there. So good job, bud. Thank you for serving. So many are obsessed with part of what this passage referred to. With the end times, with the idea of there being an Antichrist. Folks out there that see the state of the world and really feel like when you see all these headlines and all these things that are going on, the end must be near. A lot of times those feelings are accompanied by all sorts of speculations about whether this particular politician or public figure might be the Antichrist that Scripture speaks of. And that dynamic is not unique to our time. During World War II, Italy's fascist dictator Mussolini looked a lot like the Antichrist to a number of folks. Hitler, too, for that matter. Or 300 years ago, the Russian czar Peter the Great seemed like he was probably the Antichrist to a lot of his local opponents. And even if you go further back, if you see Muhammad in Islam, if you see any number of the Roman, Ciro, the Roman uh, Caesars, not the least of which being Nero, there were lots of folks that people could point to in history and say, ah, I think that one's the Antichrist. 
And sometimes, because we today get so influenced by movies like The Omen or book series like Left Behind, we miss what this passage says. Namely, that the Antichrist was already present 2,000 years ago. Many Antichrists were present 2,000 years ago, as a matter of fact. The Antichrists are folks that start in church, but then go out and they deny that Jesus is Christ by the things that they say and teach, by the actions and deeds that they do. So there were Antichrists back then, and there are certainly still Antichrists now. In our country, there are 1.2 million people in a particular group, a group that may very well knock on your door sometime, that professes to be Christian, but insists that the Father alone is God, and you must refer to him only as Jehovah. And while professing to be Christian, this group says that Jesus is not God, but a mere created being. Now right off the bat, you can probably think that that belief system conflicts with quite a few scriptures. So they have their own version of the Bible, where those conflicts have been Correct. You see, they claim the versions of the Bible that we all use were corrupt until over a century ago when Jesus came back invisibly and gave them all of the right teaching. What does that sound like? To claim to be Christian, but to deny the Son and say you're not really right with God unless you receive their teaching. Kind of sounds like what the Apostle John called Antichrist, right? And it's not alone. There was a survey done this past Easter in the United Kingdom where 25% of self-identified Christians in the UK said they don't believe Jesus actually rose from the dead. Now how exactly does that work? How can one profess to be a Christian but not believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Well, they tend to treat the resurrection as a symbol. It's meant to, to tell a story or make a point, not actually meant to be taken literally. And in fact, that's how they approach the whole Bible, because it's the product of an ancient culture, because human beings were involved in writing it. It must be full of contradictions, it must be full of outdated information, and we know better now, because we're so much more modern, we're so much more scientific, we're so much more enlightened. But lest we think that's just secular Europe, that's not just a line of thought present in the United Kingdom. We hear that same reasoning right here in the United States today. Anytime somebody sees what the Bible calls sexual immorality, but says, oh, but no, that's not immoral anymore. Anytime someone dismisses what the Bible says and says, no, the genders are pretty much interchangeable. Anytime people say salvation is not something exclusive to loyalty to Jesus, there's many paths to God. Each of those statements I just made being statements that mainline denominations are increasingly progressing towards. If we can't just read what the Bible says, without needing someone else to come along and explain to us why it doesn't actually mean what it sounds like it's saying, 
How far off are we from doing the exact same thing with the resurrection? It's happening already with a quarter of self-professed Christians in the UK. Can the U.S. be that far behind? Where we can be Christians and not even believe that Jesus actually rose. You see, no matter how plainly the Bible states something, there are some forces out there that tell us that we need to be taught something more. That we need to know something beyond simply Jesus. But that's wrong. We don't need anyone to teach us more about Jesus than what God's Holy Spirit has already revealed to us. We aren't waiting for someone else to come along and explain to us how it really is so that we don't need to read the Bible anymore. To have real hope, to have living hope, to have abounding hope that changes lives, to have hope that makes our lives eternal, we simply need Jesus. Jesus is what our hope is built on. Because if you believe the truth, the truth as it was witnessed by men like the Apostle John, which they recorded as they were carried along by God's Holy Spirit, whom Jesus anointed them with when he went to heaven to reign, if you believe that truth, then you know that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you know that Jesus is the Son of God, that means you know the Father. Because when you look at Jesus, you see what it means to be in the image of God, like we were created to be when sin isn't there to get in the way. When you hear what Jesus taught, you get to understand how the whole Bible led to him, how it's all ultimately fulfilled by him, especially through how he gave that sinless life as a sacrifice for our sins, especially from how he rose from the dead, how the lifeless body of Jesus of Nazareth got up, resurrected, Full of new eternal life, just like scripture says it is. How that body went to reign at God's right hand. How God sent his Holy Spirit from there to anoint Jesus' apostles to go preach that good news. That truth gives us hope. It gives us hope that our lives don't have to be defined by what we've done wrong. Hopes that our life aren't always going to be lived where we're never quite good enough. That truth gives us hope that we are, in fact, loved. That we are, in fact, forgiven. Because we put our faith in Jesus, because we've repented of our sins and been buried with Him in baptism, we are living new life by God's Holy Spirit. And when we're living new life by God's Holy Spirit, that gives us hope that it won't always be like it is right now. That there will be change to come. When we see God's Spirit at work changing us, it attests to that truth. And I can just hope that the pain that you and I feel right now won't last forever. And it won't be wasted. Because of Jesus, all the things that we're going through are leading somewhere. Don't let anyone deceive you about that. Jesus is God's Son. He is our hope. And He is coming back. Because as the Apostle John continues in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, he says, And now, little children, 
Abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be is not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Jesus is coming back. And there's a lot about that that we don't understand right now. Now, some of it is our own fault. There are things that Scripture plainly says that we muddle with our own speculation. So starting tomorrow, our daily devos that post to our Facebook page that are available as podcasts on our church website are going to try to sweep some of that muddle aside so that we can just hear what Scripture says about when the Son of Man comes. But all of it still won't be crystal clear, though. Because there are things that good and honest people can legitimately disagree about how best to interpret. There's things that Jesus himself said we won't know about when he comes again. Little, minor details like when. When will he come? We won't know. But there are a few things that we can know with certainty. Jesus is coming back. Everything will change when he does. And if you are a Christian, you shouldn't be afraid of that. But be honest. Some of us are. Even though God loved us so much that we get to be called his children, some of us are scared that even as Christians, we still aren't good enough. Others of us are scared of what we don't know because what we will be has not yet appeared. We worry about what that entails. We worry about if that really will be better than our lives now. Because why else would we be so scared of death? The Apostle Paul was able to exclaim, oh death, where is your sting? And we believe that Jesus rose. But what if someone brings a gun in here? What if somebody got past the guys in the back and they came in here with a gun? What would we choose? Death or denial? The apostles had to make that choice. First time they chose to die. They ran for their lives. No, Jesus, we don't know him. No, 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 Jesus never seen him before. Of course, that was before Jesus' resurrection. Their response changed after Jesus' resurrection. And you know why? Because they knew that death wasn't the end. They knew that real life awaited them. Jesus' resurrection had proven that to them. 
The presence of God's Holy Spirit, the fruit that He bears now, guarantees that there is real, eternal life on the other side of where we are now. So if we believe that Jesus rose, if we are among those who have repented and been baptized in Jesus' name for the forgiveness of our sins, if we've received the gift of God's Holy Spirit, but we still don't have hope, if we've done all of that, but we're still unwilling to sacrifice our time, our money, even our comfort zone, because, well, someone might say something or someone might do something, or if we're just terrified of saying goodbye, of letting go of a Christian loved one. We need more hope. We really need to hear what John wrote here if hope is going to be produced. Because we'll still have questions. As long as sin is in the world, there will always be risk. There's always going to be a need for us to do hard things, for us to give things up, for us to sacrifice. And unless Jesus comes, we all have to live with the certainty that one day we will die. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And that is our hope. Because John, who wrote this, he heard Jesus speak after he rose from the dead. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. He reached out and touched him. This John, who wrote this, even ate with Jesus. The resurrected Jesus cooked the man breakfast. And it was real. It was undeniably the same Jesus, the best friend that he loved so much. He even had the scars from the crucifixion on his body. He was the same, yet he was different. He could be recognized unless he didn't want you to, and then you couldn't. He could suddenly appear in the middle of a locked room. He was fully beyond the reach of sin and death. He was able in that body to ascend and abide in God's presence, but he was still the Jesus they'd always known in love. Just now in a transformed, glorious body, and there's so much about that we don't know. There's so much about that that we don't understand, but what we do know is that when Jesus comes, if we belong to him, we will be like him. That's where all of this ends up. And knowing that should tell us what to do now so that we can look forward with confidence, so that we can look forward with hope. Because John says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Every day of our lives, if you're a student in school right now, if you're somebody that's newly gotten married, if you're somebody that's in the middle of trying to raise your kids, if you're somebody that's caring for aging parents, if you're somebody that knows you're nearing the end of your own life, whether you are in your prime or whether your health is failing, the number one job that we all share is to become more like Jesus. To use every day 
day of the lives that we have to strengthen our relationship with Him. If we hope to live with Him then, we'd best start living with Him now. And that's not to say that we're never going to mess up. We practice being right with Him. We're searching the Scriptures and we notice, hey, Jesus started every day praying. Maybe I can set my alarm five minutes sooner so that I can start praying too. We see the way Jesus spoke to that woman with all that sin in her life at that well in Samaria. And we think, hey, maybe I can be a little gracious when I go place my lunch order at the Bojangles. We don't drag ourselves to worship or serve even when we're tired because we have to. We do it in hope. We trust that any effort we make to be like Jesus is worth it. That goodness will follow those efforts now and forever. Now that's going to be different. And it's supposed to be. No matter how kind or loving or gracious we might be, there are still going to be some people that will reject us. There will be some people that even hate us for that. But that's how it was for Jesus, right? But when we aim to become like him anyway, when we make him our priority even when we're tired or we're busy, when we stand on his word even when what his word says is unpopular, when we do his will even when doing his will is dangerous, those efforts we make will help to purify us. Replacing that worldly stuff that keeps us from being who God created us to be, that sin that causes ruin and shame and pain with really practicing every day of our life of being right with God, that changes things for the better. It won't be easy, but it will be good because we'll experience the blessing of God's presence now. And the more that Jesus changes our lives now, the more meaningful that he makes our work, the more loving that he makes our relationships, the more joyful or peaceful that he makes our days right now, the more genuinely excited we all get to be for what he's going to do when he comes again. But to have that kind of hope, we have to work at it. Because as John continues here in verse 4, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness 
is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Look, we all sin. John says so a couple of chapters earlier. We're lying if we say otherwise. But it would be wrong to say that we are all sinners because the key is what are we practicing? Do we just accept the way we are with no effort, with no real desire to change? Or do we want to get better? Do we believe that being more like God wants us to be is better for us. So much that we're willing to actually work on it by rearranging our lives. That's why Jesus came. You heard that in here, right? Jesus didn't just come to forgive our sins. He came to destroy the works of the devil. You see, sin is our greatest problem. And Jesus wants to take care of it completely. To get us back on track to be living the kind of lives that God meant for us to be living, which happens to be exactly the kind of life that Jesus, his son, lives. So don't let anyone deceive you. That is what we all need to practice. The more that we do, the more hope that we'll have because as we hear and do his word, as we get in step with his spirit, using that word as his sword to put to death what's sinful in us, following his lead straight into eternal life, we will change. We will know that our lives have changed because we're not the same as we were before. How we think will change. How we speak will change. How we act is going to change. What we spend our time on, what we spend our money on, how we love and encourage and comfort and forgive. When we are trying to be more like Jesus, all of it is going to be different. All of it is going to become better. And it will more and more until he comes. Jesus made it that way. And he made it that way so that we can be confident that when he comes, all of that effort, all of that practice will pay off. All of that growth, all of those improvements, he will complete in a way that only he can. He'll destroy sin and death. He'll make all things new, real eternal. And because we belong to Jesus, we'll get to be a part of that. This is our hope. Jesus, he is our hope. So let's live it. And if that life needs to begin for you, or if it's time for that life to begin again, Talk to one of us before you leave today so that we can help with that.